Welcome to the Digital Dudes Podcast. I'm David. I'm Reed. And on today's episode, we talk to Dennis Cogbill, who is, well, shoot, I guess I don't even know his title at Joshua Tree. I think he's a managing partner with uh, Steve Lefkowitz. Okay. Joshua Tree Conference Group. They're, they famously put on um, the AIM Conference that's in Huntington Beach each year, the apartment. Did they, they didn't, He changed them to innovation. It's now the apartment innovation. Right. Yep conference um and then he put they put on mtech um which is multifamily technology conference and they put on they have something new in the atlanta yeah i don't remember the name of it It, micah okay yeah Yeah. they have four conferences that they put on each year but one of our favorites or or our favorite actually conference is uh is the aim conference and i was telling dennis we actually recommend his conference on every 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 time we meet someone new in the industry that's to marketing, we say you've got to at least go to AIM just to get your feet wet, start to know some people. Um, and so, anyways, we're big we're big fans, and and Dennis is is our primary contact there. That's who we do most of our dealings with when we're setting up uh, for the event. Yeah, he's a character. I mean, from, you know, when you meet Dennis, you don't forget Dennis. Um, and he's got a lot of, as David says, hot takes, but strong opinions on on the industry, having been a self professed or proclaimed uh, lifer. So uh, wealth of information, knowledge, opinions, um, and now he's all in on events. And God knows that that, that specter or that uh, aspect of, of the industry is, is very much having to rethink things uh, in 2020 and probably moving ahead. So uh, it was great to get his opinions on that and get a little bit of an inside take. Yeah. Well, if you want to hear about how Joshua Tree is changing things up based on COVID and, and what developments they see as um, things that they see changing in 2020 versus 2021 and, and how this may be impact events moving forward, then stay tuned. So yeah, we're glad to have Dennis on talking to us about uh, the you know current climate with uh, multifamily events, which they're a huge part of, and uh, we love their events, um, and we're looking forward to AIM this year, uh, which got postponed and then you know got canceled altogether, and uh, just had us curious, you know, from from your vantage point, you know, how you guys are seeing things, and um, you know, there's a lot of questions underneath, but maybe the best place to start is just you know an update as far as uh, Yale's perspective and um, kind of what the back half of the year looks like. And I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, kind of wait and see, but uh, on the other hand, you guys have had to make some big decisions on some of those signature events. So yeah, just wanted to get some early thoughts from, from Dennis. Yeah. And Dennis, if you would just do us a favor and, and save us the time of trying to look you up, but give you, <laughs> give us your background and then the quick highlights on Joshua tree and then move into like what happened to you guys this year and what your plans are. Yeah. Hey, David, thanks for having me on. Uh, Dennis Cogbill, I'm the Managing Director for Joshua Tree Conference Group. We produce conferences in the multifamily space. Our biggest one is AIM, the Apartment Innovation and Marketing Conference, which is supposed to happen in May. Uh, we also produce uh, the Flex Conference, MICA, and MTech, uh, so four. Um, what's changed? I mean, a lot's changed. You know, We usually have four conferences a year, like I said, and this year we had one in February. So ahead of all the U.S. COVID breakout. Uh, and then we got up right in front of our March event, which is MTech, the Multifamily Technology Entrepreneurship Conference. Uh, and literally we were a go and we had a couple speakers call us and say, hey, 
I can't fly. I can't get there. Um, well, it's a one-day conference, and if you lose six speakers in two hours, uh, you got a problem. So we got on the phone. We had made the decision that like something is happening. We're not quite clear what. So let's go ahead and cancel this one. So it's a little over 100, 125 people. So easy to get a hold of them with an email and get back out to them. Uh, but three days later, uh, the state of California went to safer at home orders and shut down. So we were right ahead of that. Um, and as we're having that conversation, uh, we took a look at our AIM conference and we said, hey, um, look, AIM is a couple months away. What do we think is going to happen? What should we do? What's this thing they're talking about called a second wave? Um, and we made the call then that, you know, everyone that comes to AIM is a partner, whether it's an attendee to learn something or a sponsor to help bring clients together. Um, we didn't want to put anyone in a position to be put out and we just didn't have any good information. So that's why we made the decision to postpone it from May to the first, the last day of August, first couple of days of September. Um, and I would say kind of, you know, what has changed? I mean, well, the pandemic has come along, but we just don't have a whole bunch of data that's set. We have a lot of data coming in. The data keeps evolving. There's some hope in some data and there's some scariness in some other data. But that's the real challenge we operate as an event planner is what do you do with you have the data today? And then also you guys reached out and said, hey, what's going on? Um, and really, that's the question. Like, how do you plan for something if you don't know what's going on or what's going to impact people coming in? So we made those changes. Um, and I think, you know, we are waiting for the green light of when things will go back to normal before we can do concrete plans. Uh, so if you fast forward to last two weeks ago, we made the decision to actually cancel AIM 2020 and roll everybody over to AIM 2021. Um, there's some reasons behind that, but I'll hit pause right there and see if there's any Thing else, any other questions you want to dig into or aspects? Well, um, you know, I, I, and I know you ultimately, I think you made the right call and going ahead and canceling it, but, uh, and, and you can't get away from, obviously, I'm sure for you guys, the financial implications, which have to be kind of extreme, um, if this is your business. But, you know, one of the things that I was questioning um, before it was kind of an easy decision. Uh, whether it was coming from you guys or coming from us, but it's just, you know, when the ROI is, is in real jeopardy, you know, and that's where I started thinking almost in being in your shoes, like, are they going to introduce potentially attendee like clauses or guarantees or something um, to put, you know, the bigger sponsors mind at ease? Cause you know, we're still going to be, I would think a little gun shy even next year. Um, you know, we love these events. Hopefully you, you already know that. Um, but it's like, if you're going to put down tens of thousands of dollars, um, and you don't really have, as you said, the data is still coming in a true sentiment of, cause I mean, and this was totally random, but different, you know, about people RSVPing and not showing up and, and kind of inside, like not inside joke, but the whole Trump event. <laughs> um, but just, you know, for, for sponsors, it's like, well, are people really going to come? And then, you know, you make this big commitment and kind of build uh, your business strategy that year around some of these events. And, and then, you know, it's, it's a light showing. So that was one question in that is, as you guys were thinking through it, you know, uh, but it, it just seemed to become so easy or clear to you guys that we needed to not only postpone, but cancel, but hopefully you're tracking me. It's like, as you think ahead, Dennis is more what I'm trying to get at. Um, you know, if, if the model or, you know, parts of these agreements are going to look any different, 
Um, or if it's really just for the sponsors, it's like kind of buyer beware. It's like your own risk. You know, we can't make guarantees. We don't know who's going to show up. We're hoping that we can provide value, but you know, it is what it is because that's hard to stomach, but it's also, you know, I also respect where you guys are kind of coming from and probably what you're going to be facing next year as, as you try to come back online. Yeah. I hope from our side that the, you know, the big driver of canceling one, we just don't know. There's a lot, there's too many factors. Like, you know, what, what is a bad aim conference? Well, it would be 200 sponsors showing up and four clients, right? I mean, that would just be bad. Um, even if you cl- those clients bought everything, right? Like, it's not a win for anybody. So, you know, the, the, the concern for aim was, you know, what if it's just 25% or 50% of what it was last year? And, I'm not going to define what it was because each person that comes have a different outcome in their mind of what they want to get out of aim. But let's say it was less, right? Um, and especially from a sponsor standpoint, that, that's, that's a problem, right? Because you're usually using the trajectory of each previous event to figure out the next event. That's what I did at rent.com. You know, that's what I did at apartment list is, okay, it was good. Do I put more into it, peel some away? What do I do? How do I optimize? And you guys do the same thing, right? You started, you know, easing into it and boom, go big, right? And we appreciate that. But I don't want to have a conversation that, hey, Dennis, it was it was a lot less this year. What, what are we going to do next year? Um, so we, you know, that was a big concern on our side. You know, I, I can't guarantee who's going to get on a plane. I mean, we haven't even solved the plane challenge yet. Um, you know, uh, we this isn't a regional show. It's not a local show. If it's local, people could drive in. I think, you know, apartmentalize might hedge that pretty well being in Texas, right? Uh, mini TAA maybe um, to pull people in. But you know, outside of that, no one's going to drive hours to get to an event, no matter how awesome it is. Um, so we did, we decided let's just get out of 2020 and let's just focus on 2021. You know, we we ha- we got a few hedges playing for that as well. Uh, you know, everyone got extra attendee passes. Uh, the client side did. You guys got to invite some VIPs. Uh, we'll also allow that for the attendee side that have paid that are rolling over. They get to bring a friend as well. So hopefully, it's twice as large. Um, but to your point, we don't guarantee it, right? It's it's not so much buyer beware, but we like to build up year over year. And if it's bigger than expected, then you get the advantage of that. Um, and we try to price it as the value of how many people we have there and what we think you guys can do when you're there and how many meetings you can have and that kind of stuff. So um, that's what we watch. And that's, you know, does it open up for next year or does it open up if you have a bad event? Yeah. I mean, everyone's got to make a business decision if it, if, if you know, Who's still on the books this year? We've got MFE, you know, in Vegas. Uh, we've got Apartmentalize. We've got Optech. I mean, there, there's Dallas, and then back to Vegas again with Optech, right? So, big question marks. Texas is a pro state of getting together, and Vegas and Las Vegas is now too. So, California is not, um, and we weren't going to change our event where it was to hedge for that as well. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I think you know, you mentioned Tulsa. Um, the Tulsa event, I think there were a couple of things that went against their attendance. One, I think people figured out how to mess with it and they got more excited than they should have. Um, but, you know, even with COVID, even with other things going on, like what was the real thing? I will say people still showed up and, you know, between a third of the people and two thirds of the people filled the auditorium. So that's actually from where I sit, hopeful that people are willing to go out. Uh, I know we're not presidential level, but I still think people have a great time at AIM and learn a lot. So we might be there. Yeah. Well, quick follow up and then I'll let David jump in. I'm sure he's going to piggyback on this question, but 
as you were thinking through the process and you're thinking ahead, um, one thing we noticed with departmentalize is they quickly started coming out with, you know, here's what, you know, we're going to provide on a virtual level. So they obviously decided to go ahead and continue with the event and move it to Dallas, like you said. And that was, I appreciate you getting ahead of that one because I was going to ask about that too. Any thoughts, since I know you guys, I believe, are committed for a few more years to California, whether you had ever considered moving uh, AIM at, at any point, but that may have just you know, been a non-starter. Uh, but getting back to the virtual uh, aspect of this, you know, what, I mean, it's a big question. There's a lot of sub-questions underneath this, but uh, did you guys ever consider, um, you know, trying to do a hybrid or even going beyond hybrid? Because David and I have made a decision and of course we don't charge for it, but we have an event, Digital Summit last year, that was a big success for us, at least for a kickoff. Um, and we're going to move forward with it in a virtual capacity, but we know all the things that are going to be compromised as a result. But again, we're not monetizing it. So yeah, if you don't mind just sharing a little bit about your thoughts around virtual events or hybrids, you know, um, something to that effect. And then, uh, yeah, I'm going to pass it over to David because I know he's been doing a lot of research on that for ourselves. Yeah, I mean, we, we contemplated a couple things before we pulled the cancellation, or put the cancellation out there. You know, one was pushing it back to Q4 push into Q1 and virtual, you know, uh, we'd already moved it once. Q4, you know, it's already got two big conferences in it um, from the multifamily standpoint. I don't think anyone would appreciate a third one jumping in there and having to decide what they're going to do. As of right now, there's two next to each other within two weeks apart. Nobody's happy about that. Um, so I didn't want to do that. Q1, that puts me around top of my own event. Like, that's a non-starter. No one wants to go back-to-back quarters, not even me, <laughs> at the own event. Um, and then virtual, you know, I, I went to a couple, participated, watched probably 20 different companies present what they could do. It um, really comes down to, I knew we could have great content because that's just pulling the stage together and changing the format of the stage and people sit wherever they want for that stage. Um, and that's that's not complicated. If you get the right speakers, the right content and do the rehearsals, everyone, people could do that. That's easy. Um, or very manageable and doable at the same level of expectation that we have for our stage at AIM. But AIM is more than just the content, right? When I talk to attendees or sponsors of why they're there, you know, the answers vary all over the place, what they want to get out of it. Um, some people want to break from their home office. You know, they just want to be at a place where they can break from their family. You know, they can think about work and think about their career. Um, they want to visit with colleagues and friends that they never get to see because they're only allowed to go to one conference a year. Um, they want to go to the beach. They want to get in early. They want to go to the pool. They want to learn something. They want to close some deals. Uh, I had one person, I asked how the content was, an attendee side, uh, an owner from a REIT. And they said, Dennis, I have not been a piece of content in five years. And don't take that wrong. I, I, don't, I don't come here for the content. I come here to run 25 meetings every time I show up. So, okay, that's a great attendee because they're talking to all the sponsors, right? So I got no complaints on that. So people come for different reasons. And that experience I couldn't figure out how to make it successful online. I don't know how to translate to virtual. You know, everyone knows how to book meetings. They can call people. Uh, they can set Zoom calls, FaceTime calls, whatever calls, platforms people want to use these days now that everyone is now accepting those types of meetings. Um, that's great. But I don't know how to make that experience. Um, somebody offered me to build an entire miniature AIM studio somewhere and have sponsors come in and shoot a mock-up of what they were going to offer and then try to put that in virtual. Uh, to me, it just sounds like a lot of money on a lot of risk. Like, I don't know who's going to be excited or how it's going to play out. So, you know, I even talked to um, somebody over at Adobe and asked how their conference went because they actually pivoted to virtual within three weeks. Um, 
they said it was great on content, sponsorship and kind of interaction and people being able to take away uh, an experience. They couldn't answer that yet. So with that kind of risk and, you know, my expectation of, you know, sponsors and being partners, I didn't want to create that risk and have it, anyone be disappointed on something that we can't make an awesome experience out of the gate. Yeah. Well, on the content side of things, it's interesting that you mentioned that because it sounds like you're obviously you have a lot of stakeholders, right? You have the people that show up like the guy with 25 meetings. It, it, that would be very hard to replicate. I'm not sure that we're, that we are ready for that, meaning the society, right? And that like organic, like bumping into people and networking with other folks, even that aren't vendors, but that are just other, you know, bystanders. Um, so I can only appreciate how hard that might, must be to try to pull together. But I am wondering about the content. So um, I know that uh, what I, I, I actually have you guys as a slide in my deck whenever I'm presenting to someone that's new to the industry. So I have, um, well, I mean, I have you guys, I have like Opcom, I have, I have the major conferences, but I'm always like, look, if you're interested. Optech, you said Opcom. <laughs> oh yeah, Optech. Sorry, we just had our Opcom meeting today. Oh. Um, so I'll hit like MTech, I'll hit AIM, I'll hit, NAA, I'll hit um, Optech. And I tell them like, you should go here if this is what you're looking for, here if this is what you're looking for. So I hit two of your conferences during that. My point is because a lot of times it's like when you're moving from out of industry to in industry, you need to like, you got the fire hose from your own company, but now you got to like also get your own like handle of, of what of what your own experience of the rest of the industry. So you're not just being told from people that you're sitting next to. So um, my, my, this is long-winded to talk about content. How much, um, how much would, is this almost like a blessing in disguise to be like, great, we get to skip a year on content <laughs> and like come back and, and let the industry like have something new to talk about versus, um, it's like, nope, really like, uh, there's always some, there's always good content. That's not really, it's not like, cause I'll say with like, when we first started the podcast at first we were like, shoot, what are we going to talk about? And now we've got crap coming out of our ears and we're like, uh, well, when are we going to get this scheduled? So I'm just wondering how that falls for you at you know running events. Yeah, I think you can create content um, from a lot of different areas, right? And I think the question is, what do you ex- for? So for right now, like the blessing part is, we can just focus on what we're excited about and actually ask the question, what's really going to solve challenges? Um, so I'll do a shout out to our advisory boards. You know, they actually I spend time talking to them as much as I can throughout the year when they're available to ask them. You know, what are the big problems you're working on? Like, what do you need solved? Um, who who do you need to talk to? Who do you need to meet? And some of that's as simple as, you know, setting up with introductions for people that want to work on their team, you know, help with hiring and those things. But usually it comes down to like, okay, after five or six of those conversations, I can get a theme of what the content needs to be, what the problem is. I mean, case in point, we are at our first MICA conference, Multifamily Innovation Conference Atlanta. And the, someone came up once and said, hey, this flexible rentals panel to like, who should I use? What should I do? And it's good. Okay. Well, we'll get some more information. Half hour later, somebody else walks up. Hey, flexible rentals. Like who's the best company to partner with? What should we do? Like, that's interesting. Okay. We'll, we'll get some information. And then two more people came up almost the same conversation. I'm like, okay, we clearly have an opportunity here for content. And this is something special that no one else is doing. So we literally built a conference around it for uh, six months later. So in October, we launched that conference. So, you know, that's kind of how we find content. It's through conversations and talking about it. Um, we do put a filter on things. Like we actually have a lot of sessions we built for AIM and we have a webinar series now. We're not going to pull them all out of AIM and bring them forward um, just because, you know, like 
you know, you could have a lot of content, but also who really cares? And then also, you know, it's a lot of work to make it good content and make it so it's actionable. Um, you know, I think when people, you know, people might not appreciate what it takes to put a good session together. And that work matters because you want people understanding the content, be able to do something at the end, not just hear and learn. Um, so there's different flavors in how you do those things. Cool. And then what about um, how this, even though you guys aren't doing virtual, like a virtual or combined, you know, as Reed was saying, like conference this year, meaning like a smaller one in person, but with some online stuff, it, you guys, you just dropped, you're doing like, a, like, I guess a, a new webinar series. So tell us a little bit about that. What's the inspiration? Are you guys able you know, I feel as a business owner, like, are you able to monetize that in any way for yourselves to like kind of help, help you guys get through the year? And then does that change how, what you guys will do next year? Or like, does it change your business model at all moving forward? Great question. Uh, yes, we have monetized it. Um, some, when we first started it, we're like, okay, who knows who's going to show up. Right. And uh, like I said earlier, I don't want to burn anybody. So we launched the first series, no sponsors, just putting together some content doing some marketing around it. We have our audience for AIM, so you can leverage that to you know, market to to have a webinar as well. Um, and we did pretty, pretty well. We, had, uh, we didn't go in the first kind of, I'd call it the waves, you know, when everyone started going home and you had all the or work from home and safer at home orders, we had a huge wave of webinars starting. We were kind of in the second half of that, not right at the beginning. And now we're kind of in the full bore uh, webinar fatigue, maybe. I don't know if we're quite there yet, but it feels like it's getting there. Um, so we launched it. We did about five got some good data, different levels and learnings on it. Um, big things were optimizing kind of the experience from our speaker standpoint and realizing, you know, some coaching up of how not to have audio or visual problems, um, some basic stuff, but things that are overlooked when you're doing this. Um, so we, we did that um, and we've launched it and we're going to go, we have one more this week and then we're actually going to take summer and kind of shelve it, take eight weeks and not do it. Um, one, because I think we're in that fatigue point and it's just not, you know, people are starting to celebrate with their families, figure out what vacation at home looks like and all this other stuff for summer. So I think we're gonna have a different style of summer this year. Um, so we're gonna take a step out of that and then come halfway through September, we'll launch back up with a full series running, uh, all the way through until probably the week before Thanksgiving, and then maybe one or two in December, and then we'll call it for the year. Um, and really it's just because of the timing cycle, we don't think anyone's going to be interested or, you know, the audience will be fragmented throughout that, uh, and the excitement's kind of there as well. So yeah, we are monetizing, um, we can do them. It does help, you know, get us over to next year. Uh, but really just measuring the experiences, you know, how many can we do? Are they good? Are they relevant? Uh, but we're not forced to do it. Um, so that, that means we're in a good position that, from that side as well. Well, I'll take the subtle dig. Like when Dennis first jumped on, I spent like 10 minutes, like blowing out his eardrums, trying to get our new <laughs> set up done. <laughs> I, uh, look, I'm not going to be a production assistant anytime soon, but, um, so Dennis just hitting real quick back on what you said, like, so you're monetizing through, cause I think they're smaller webinars, right? Like that was the goal is like, it, you're not trying to like mass cater, like have a thousand people on these things. And then I'm guessing you're monetizing, not through charging for the webinar, like, who is it? Multifamily insiders or something charges for their stuff. But I'm guessing you're doing more of the sponsorship angle since that's, well, they don't charge, they don't charge for the content. They just charge the sponsors to be involved. I thought they charged. I paid once for like a $50 to watch. Maybe it's cause I am a sponsor, but I was just watching mm -hmm. and I wasn't talking, but anyways, there's not a lot of content out there. So one thing is webinar fatigue. I think that there are a lot of webinars coming up, but I almost think feel like at, 
this is more personally. I almost treat it like Netflix now. It's like, hey, if I've got an hour, I, I bet I can find a webinar these days that I can join that might be interesting versus before it was like webinars were just kind of on the side for me. But now I'm actually like, oh, what might I find? Like I have, I have lunch hour on Wednesday. What webinar do I want to join this time? So I actually think what's interesting is that the content's getting more specific and useful for, I guess, me personally, being that there's more stuff from the industry coming versus before it was like you had multifamily insiders once in a while doing something that I may or may not care about. Um, so I actually like the frequency of, of the webinars, but back to the question, it's more, is it more sponsorship or is it more, um, are you like trying to charge for tickets for webinars? Yeah, no, we're going to keep it more focused like our events where it's more on the sponsor side versus the attendee side. So, you know, I, I don't know what people want to pay to be on a webinar, but I could probably find a sponsor who wants to be near that topic or near that audience easier. Um, plus, there's, there's no guarantee, right? Like, you know, they vary from 50 attendees up to 250 attendees and the ones we've done. So it just depends on the content. You know, I, I can't guarantee or force someone to get on it or if their schedule is allowing them to be on it. Um, so we just focus on is the right content? Do we want to do it? Are people going to learn from it and hopefully make connections and move their businesses forward? If it meets all those and we can get a sponsor, we're in a good spot. Even if we can't get a sponsor, we're still going to produce it and do it um, because it's good content. And we know that bringing people together really helps everyone's businesses and moves things forward. Yeah. Well, last thing there, and I'll let Reed hit whatever is doing in his noggin over there. But um, so based on the success of that so far, but does this, does this, uh, as I called it in my email to you, uh, the gap year, does this gap year change what might happen for you guys, like your format or different technologies that you guys will experiment with next year? I'm just curious, again, just does this, does this change anything moving forward? Or do you think it's like, nope, this is just one of those things. And then things are mostly back to normal next year. Yeah. I'll liken it to like education right now. You know, when you talk to any institution, it's like, we want to get everyone back together, but we have to have a plan, you know, and maybe it's all distance learning or everyone back in school or it's a hybrid. Right. And I think for us next year, the evolution would be at the bare minimum. We'll still have a webinar series all year long and we'll space it around our conferences that we have next year. We'll still have our conferences experience in person, everyone getting together and experiencing everything that happens at the events. Um, and then there'll probably be the hybrid model, which we might take a few sessions and put them out, you know, on a webinar or a live cast from the conference. We've never done that. We've debated back and forth on how that would be. But clearly, after this year, everyone's accepting this new medium. I mean, it existed before. I'll call it new to some people, but it, it's been around for a long time. But, you know, doing a webcast or a live kind of piece out and you know, do some of the content and get out to more people. Um, you know, the question is, do you charge for it? Do you not charge for it? How do you monetize? What's the best way? But at the end of the day, probably getting it out there is a good thing. I mean, we did record every session and put it back up on AIMCOMP last year. So it's there. Like we already have it out there. It wasn't live. Um, so we'll probably change and do a couple live sessions, uh, broadcast them, um, just see how it goes. Uh, but as you can see from the production side, like producing it, there's also a lot of nuances that people don't see on the back end. Um, and, you know, technology can be fickle. So you got to have some redundancies and different things set up before you do that because you don't want to have a bad experience either. Um, but I think meeting the needs of some people who are uncomfortable, if we're still at a point where travel's tough next year and they're uncomfortable traveling or they just can't travel, um, like if kids aren't back in school next year, like or we're in the hybrid mode where more people are distance learning, like what does that do attendance? You know, I think airplanes 
we'll finally figure it out come Q1, you know, but there's a lot of things that have to happen for us to get back to the new normal of in live person events. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people are predicting and it depends on what you're reading or who you're reading. But, you know, that second wave and that puts you guys again in a tough spot because that isn't necessarily when you're well, certainly not when your signature events are planned, but then you you're coming kind of on the heels of that. So you're looking at the fall, the winter. And then if we do see, you know, things kind of bounce back up or get worse, then it's like, okay, well, they're probably going to start getting better right around spring. And I, this is just empathy here. You know, you guys, you know, are going to be in a tough spot. So it seems to me that you have to find some sort of hybrid um, and love that you guys are putting out that content. And I can relate, Dennis, personally. Um, I don't know if I ever shared with you, but my background's in media. Um, and the last six years before I got into multifamily was actually a newspaper and I was on the digital side of things. That's how David and I met. Um, but one of the things I was often in the room trying to help, I guess, lead strategy and, uh, sometimes just trying to, you know, listen, uh, was to the newsroom about their aggravations and what was changing in their, their industry. Right. Which is okay. Now we can't monetize the product the way we used to, um, you know, put it on people's doorsteps. Um, and a lot of our print advertisers have, have gone and moved on to digital. So what's our game plan here? Um, how much do we go all in on this digital transformation knowing it is our future? Um, and not abandoning, you know, our roots or do we need to, you know, fully abandon our roots and kind of our legacy product. And I don't think it's that grave and it does seem, you know, certainly more temporary for sure for, for events, especially experiential events like you guys have. But I just wonder, and I saw it, I started to see it with newspaper is uh, people being more willing, funny enough to pay for content, but it had very much to do with, you know, I guess those demographics of people um, because it's easy to argue millennials won't pay for anything, you know, when it comes to content, but that's not necessarily y'all's audience. So I'm just wondering if there will actually be some type of collective, I don't want to call it sympathy, but just appreciation for the fact that, Hey, great content doesn't come for free and it shouldn't, you know, if you guys really want this type of content, you, you need to find ways to support it. And given the climate that we're in, you know, it should be uh, kind of an expectation or understood that, uh, you know, we, we need to monetize. So a thought come, came into my head as I heard you talking through the webinars, and I'm not saying that this would, would work, but it's part of what, again, we talked about when I was in the paper, uh, when I was at the newspaper, but it was just like, should we just do like broader subscriptions of content? So you get kind of, you know, what you should expect for maybe free, but then there's all this added premium content. And then it's a suite. It's a package of content for 2021 from AIM or from the Joshua Tree, sorry, not AIM specifically, but as David was saying, I can always find webinar, webinars and valuable stuff now coming from the industry, uh, but it's not often packaged up that way. It's usually like piecemeal. It's like, oh, this just came out or I can get that. But if they know, you know, that it's a, you know, an annual subscription of content, um, people might be more excited about it, more willing to pay. And then, of course, sponsors as well. But it makes sense. And we kind of thought the same terms as we talked about paywalls on the site was, okay, are we better off trying to monetize this by growing audience and not charging and scaring people off, you know, on the content and what they came to, at least the Denver post, they came to kind of middle ground on that. So they themselves have a hybrid where there's some content and then there's gated content and the New York times and a lot of other big papers have had a similar success. And so it's fascinating to me just to see, and not in some, you know, uh, I guess, uh, 
what, what am I trying to think? Like some shitty way, I'll just say that, uh, how this is going to play out for, for events. But in a way, you guys are experiencing what they've been experiencing for a while, and you're going to go through this for a couple of years. And it'll be, uh, yeah, fascinating, I guess, just to see how it all evolves. Um, well, I'll, I'll let, if there's any comment or feedback on that, Dennis, but I, I was going to um, then take it back to like your kind of regional, like, strategy i guess because that was something that you had told me and david at one point you know that was something you guys were looking forward to doing is maintaining your signature events but also starting to to think in a more regional capacity so i didn't know if everything that's happening is accelerating that for you and steve as you you think about how you're going to approach this but i know it's not you're not delivering the same experience as being on the beach because i agree that was a great call out that's one of the reasons we love going i mean who doesn't um you don't get that necessarily in uh, Dallas, Texas, or or you know some of these other cities. So, anyways, yeah. Any any thoughts? Uh, any more? Just about. I mean, I feel like you've covered it, but I just want to give you a chance to react to some of those parallels potentially, and and what it might look like in twenty twenty one. But if yeah, I think there's yeah. there's a lot of different ways you can deliver content, charge for content, monetize the content. You know, because all of it takes work, all of it costs something, right? Um, so you can look at different ways to do it. I think for us, you know, the way historically we program people to buy from us and interact with Joshua, Joshua Tree Conference Group is we have our sponsors um, that pay a premium to get access to an audience that's focused on something, right? Um, we're not a broad brushstroke audience at any one of our events. We actually curate different types of people at different ones. It's not to say some people don't go to all of them because they love us. There's a couple of people that do that. But for the most part, your job would not preclude you to go to each one. Um, so, you know, we focus on that um, and we charge the attendees something just so they're committed to show up. Um, you know, sometimes if everything's free, people stop showing up because um, they have nothing, no skin in the game. Um, so, you know, there's different ways we've done it. So for us to evolve, it's either the question is usually do we take something and evolve it or to create something new. Um, and for our conferences, you know, you brought up the regional standpoint, you know, we've been under pressure from all the East coasters to move aim to the East coast and do what, uh, NMHC does bounce back and forth. Um, you know, I first year I was with Steve at Joshua Tree conference group. I went on a tour and checked out 14 hotels, uh, in California and in Florida to see what the options were. And, you know, don't tell the Hyatt this, but they're the best. I mean, it's the best location for what we want to do, the experience we want to have. And there's a lot of pieces, not just being on the beach, but, you know, how do you fit these structures into a space? How do you create a flow that people walk by the big structures first and the smaller structures later? That's all designed. You know, it, it works the way it is, but it is designed and you've got to have all that in play when you're planning it from where I sit. So, you know, our regional events are pushing out, you know, we solved that request by building Micah and putting it in Atlanta, right? The only other place that has a bigger audience of multifamily kind of players or decision makers would be Texas. Um, there's a lot going on in Texas and Texas isn't quite the East coast. So now we're bi-coastal, but it's two different events, two different brands. Um, we do overlap the innovation, um, but you know, there's always stuff to talk about on innovation, things coming up and how you apply it. Uh, so we kind of got that piece, but aim, aim is set. Huntington Beach, you know, we'd like to keep it in May every year. Uh, this year's the hiccup. Uh, next year, hopefully we land it back in May again and stick around for three or four more years at least uh, in Southern California. And then we'll just do other events, you know, we'll, our East Coast solve is 
Atlanta, which is a very easy town to get to from anywhere from Dallas over. Um, so we like that, and we've heard good feedback on that. So that'll just grow over time as people get more interested. Um, I think that answered your questions at the comments back against kind of your thoughts. Yeah, no, that's great. I appreciate that. And you kind of got ahead of the question on the, the regional strategy. Um, so a lot of, I mean, to be expected, a lot of this uh, podcast is going to be centered around content. So uh, coming back uh, to not the webinars that you guys are doing, but um, thinking about, I'll say now next year in AIM, David and I had a little fun. I think it was on the last podcast, but in advance of the NAA week or apartmentalize, um, we wanted to kind of pay tribute. And you were part of that, um, just talking through different subjects that we think might have been or probably would have been discussed, uh, sessions that would have been had. And, you know, but you're great just, you know, coming from a host on what your thoughts are. So, you know, we said, hey, what would be some of the sessions that he and I would have been most excited about attending? And no surprise, especially probably to you uh, as you're getting to know us, but a lot of it was going to be around data and tech. But when you look at the industry right now, any, all anybody can talk about is, you know, the, the protests, the movements that are going on, the sensitivity. And, you know, it spills over a lot, I think, when rightfully so into fair housing laws and, and things of that nature, uh, as well as COVID. So fast forward to 2021, there's no way that that's all going to be behind us. Um, who knows at what level we'll be at? Because right now, you know, it's. I think it's fair to say it's probably at its peak. But just uh, didn't know if you guys had had thought about that already, or you you were kind of preparing for that, or imagining that this is a topic that we we're going to need to hit, which is virtual leasing. You know, sensitivity around. Uh, I mean, frankly, things that we we started before we uh, got on the podcast with you, which is like sensitivity around you know, social content, things like that. So as that started to kind of enter, I guess, the the brainstorming ideas or thoughts about content as, as you look ahead for AIM 21? Yeah, I mean, you know, there, this is probably the biggest evolution of what's happened to everybody in the audience personally in their lifetime, right? Um, some people have not been through a recession um, or worked through it. They've lived through it, but they didn't actually get impacted. It was their parents. Um, people have different exposure to riots, you know, who's lived through one and seen one or seen two, you know, some people have seen three, if you've been in LA. Um, so there's a lot of stuff and a lot of points that are, that are new to a lot of people out there. So I think for us, there's kind of this evolution of what's happened to the business, right? What's happening to the business of renting homes. Um, one of is access. How do you still get people in and keep, you know, get, let them see what's out there? Um, part of that goes into the exposure, like the fair housing, all the laws, people are changing things or just realization that, okay, even if it's not written down that you have to do it, like what should you do? What is being human being about? How are we helpful to people? Um, you know, if everyone just wanted that guidance, they'd probably be better off than trying to find out what exactly is the law that I have to do and follow the bare minimum. Um, you know, so access, you know, is a big topic, getting in virtually being safe. Uh, I think the other thing is safety, right? Safety lives on the community, outside the community, interacting with people in a safe manner with a pandemic going on? What does the evolution of this look like? Um, so I think there's a lot of conversations of that. And then, you know, what what really changed, you know, in COVID? What did you change that's never going to go back to the same? Uh, what are the procedures you should change um, just so it's a better experience? It doesn't have to be worse. Like things can evolve and be forced evolution and progression it could be a whole reason why it had to, but once it did, it becomes better for everybody or it just becomes the new acceptance. Why didn't we do it this way in the past? So we're having conversations around that. Um, 
you know, looking to it. I think, you know, it's going to be exciting next year because you'll have so many new pieces you can bring forward to a stage to have a conversation about. Um, you know, I mean, I've talked to companies about work from home and safer at home. You know, people are actually talking about getting rid of office space. Um, and no one's scared about it. It's like, I'm going to lose my job because the office is shrinking. They're like, I'm going to lose. I got my job because I'm working from home. They're shrinking it because I don't show up anymore. It's a totally different way to think about it. You know, leasing agents are probably no longer going, if we go to online leasing, I'm going to lose my job. They're probably going like, okay, someone's got to sit on the other side of the camera and walk this person through and do a tour. I'm going to be that person. How do I set up my home office so I don't get interrupted so I can be successful and still do what I need to do and be you know, contributing? So I think those things are going to happen from it. And I'm looking forward to some real live case studies of it. We have a lot of theoretical. I talked to a lot of owners who are making really big pivots. Um, they finally have, you know, the permission to make the changes um, because they're necessary now. Uh, and I'm interested to see how it all plays out and kind of what new technologies come into play, you know, that we're going to talk about next year as well. Yeah. Well, I think David said it well, just as far as the opportunity with the gap year, even though it sucks for a lot of obvious reasons, um, it does allow you guys to, I guess, speculate a little bit less um, or, or guess about content. Because uh, as you just said, Dennis, you'll get to see some things really unfold and play out and technologies emerge so that you guys can be hopefully a little bit more strategic and organized about what you produce in 2021. On that note, or last uh, question on this whole thread uh, for me is how nimble are you guys? I've always wondered that. I know we see some deadlines or we have before as far as applying to you know be a speaker or whatever, but um, you know, when it comes to, and it shouldn't be, you know, unique, I guess, to 2021. Um, but 2021, I think you guys, and part of it may be virtual, allows you to be a little bit more nimble if you guys do try a hybrid. But yeah, when do things wrap up for you guys? Like when do you, uh, when you make your final decisions on, okay, we have, we have the content for the next, you know, for our three days and, you know, February is kind of cut off. We can't really make too many changes after that. Or is it like the 11th hour and I got this all wrong? No, no, no. <laughs> we, we, we have a, so our company is not that large. It's all three people deep. So we have to have kind of checklists and processes built in and we do a little bit of automation on some stuff we do too. So we actually have a call for speakers. We ask for sessions. We ask people to put them together. Some people don't like the form, but the form is designed. So it, you actually have to think and put something there. Um, not to bury anybody, but when people say my CEO is really a thought leader and has a great accent, you should put him on stage. Those, those, <laughs> those never win ever. Um, but people who do the thought, you know, and submit on time, they actually do get a better weighting. Um, so usually what we try to do, it, it'll shift a little bit this year, depending on if there's a vaccine. Like if we get a vaccine, we'll, we'll know we're a go and we're good and everything's fine. There's not a vaccine. We'll drag our feet a little bit. But let's say hypothetically in previous years or in previous years, we've wrapped it up by end of, you know, middle of December usually for session submissions. And then we finalize by mid-February. Um, and that's kind of your back and forth questions, you know, is there really data? Do you really have data? Like, show me the data because I'm not quite sure anyone has that data. So we do our due diligence, you know, because we have a high bar for the stage, high bar for the content now in this world. Um, and we push hard on that and push back and make sure people are delivering great stuff and actually have it. Um, so usually it's a formal process, at least for our aim. Uh, for the other stages, Steve and I usually just pick because it's only six to 10 sessions total. Uh, so it's easier to for just to think about what we want to do and who's out there and what we're doing. Uh, but AIM's a much larger event. You know, it's 
almost three days, right, of putting stuff together in multiple stages. Uh, we had three stages last year. Um, so a little bit more work, a little bit more process, um, but we're always open. Like, you know, we always save two slots usually. Uh, that are, we don't wrap up until two weeks before. Um, and we do, that, we do that intentionally because we're always hopeful that something is going to hit where we go, that's it. It is, it's the wave crashing right now, and we've got to ride this wave, and this is the one we're going to put on. So we do do that. We do save some spots, and you know, people are welcome to reach out to us, um, try to set up time with us and talk about it uh, and flesh out the ideas. But that some of the content you plan ahead, it's going to be, you know, you know it's coming, you know what you're doing, but some of it's also like you want to leave it open so that you can have the freshest content as part of your conference as well. Can I ask one more question? Yeah. Well, Dennis, you have a few extra minutes. Of course. All right. So you put them on the spot like that and you give them out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, having, I guess, gone through this now, lived through it as far as a post moment and then ultimately a cancellation, are you guys going to approach it same way? Like, uh, do you feel like you learned anything coming out of this as far as how you would handle it next year? If it, if you're kind of in a similar position, because obviously I know that there's, you know, uh, some sort of paradigm that you guys have to look at, you know, as far as uh, safety, account, you know, the economic implications, all that stuff. So you guys have a formula to make this decision, but um, you know, what do you see yourself like potentially going down the exact same path where it's like, we got to this point, it was still kind of in the air, but looks like we're gonna have to postpone. Cause I heard you say earlier, you know, in the, in the podcast, just that, um, we didn't want to try and stack up with some of these other guys because they, you know, it's nobody likes that when there's events on top of each other. So didn't know if, you know, anticipating next year, you know, kind of similar decision process, or do you think it's going to be like, nope, we're either having it or we're not? You know, Steve and I are both lifers and multifamily. So we, know, like I always tout that I know all the sponsors personally, um, all the attendees, I probably know about 40% of the attendees personally. So it's not something I want to show up and be like, oh, yeah, we're just trying to pull this off. That, that's not awesome for anybody, right? And you guys have to have deals, do business for things to be there. We, we could have a little bit of a haircut. I don't know. I'm not going to quantify what that is. And we'd be, everyone would be fine and understand. Um, but from where I sit, you know, we still didn't have the information for 2020. We still don't. Like, I, I don't think we do. I don't think I've made the wrong call by canceling. Now, canceling is a huge financial decision, right? And thank goodness for partners like you guys and a lot of good partners we have. You know, we have the conversation and people rolled over, you know. Um, everybody wants to do it. You know, everyone I talk to is bummed that we're not doing AIM, but safety is the biggest thing, right? I don't want someone coming to, to California, leaving, contracting COVID and pointing back and saying that happened in Huntington Beach. You know, I, I don't want that. I probably know that person and that's going to suck all around. So I'd prefer take the lumps on the financial side, push it to next year, um, double down. I, I'm truly optimistic that 2021 will either, you know, have a vaccine or we'll have the new way that we're going out and doing business. You know, the beauty of Huntington Beach is we do have this huge outdoor venue that sits right across the highway. Um, and I have contemplated and also have a plan on how to design that uh, as an event space. You know, if we got to be outdoors and everyone's got to wear a mask and, We'll have to take little breaks to get out of the sun and do different things differently. Okay, we can pull that thing off. Um, if that's what the, the data shows and that's a safe way to do it, that's what we'll do. Um, but, you know, we're also not going to commit that it has to happen either because if the risks are too high and it just doesn't make sense, 
we don't want to put that kind of fear or pressure on anybody to come out for an event that you know is going to make you scared to be there yeah well since i was mentioning topics or sessions that we were i guess hopeful for would have been excited about can you give us yours from what was planned like what without hopefully offending anybody but you know what was the your number one or two sessions that had been planned for aim 2020 that you were pretty stoked about aim 2020 there's a lot of volume and there a lot of noise i'm gonna go back to mtech the first one we had to cancel uh and actually it was about how to invest how to use your money to invest in multifamily deals. Um, and I thought that was interesting because the one thing that most people might not understand about Steve and I is we're happy when we can advance people's careers in multifamily. Um, and some of it's pointing out gaps and kind of or opportunities and learning that they could do. And this is one that's kind of like, hey, if you're going to be multifamily for a long time. Shouldn't you probably own a little piece of the pie um, if you're going to go through all the cycles and should you be part of it? So that was what I was personally excited about. Um, because I thought that would bring a huge value. So that's actually one we might get back on the burner in Q4. Um, of course, there's a lot going on in people's lives right now. So it's also a timing thing of when we want to do that one. That was one I was bummed that we didn't get to put on. Um, and AIM, there's still a lot of good stuff, but we're pulling some of that forward and you'll see that in the webinar series. Well, that would be super cool too, because there's a lot of advancements in the like individual investment space with these different robo-advisors and stuff. And there's a few different companies that are doing that for for real estate. And it's interesting, like, cause even though co- uh, COVID has impacted a, a lot of the job force, the most recent stat I saw said that millennials are investing more now than before COVID. So the young, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, like those folks that are towards the end of their career, they're freaking out because they, you know, they're, I mean, their nest egg uh, took, took a hit, but the millennials are using it as a chance to put more money in. And I was just surprised by that. I would have figured well, I guess I don't have a lot of faith in, in youth investing. <laughs> not the faith would go and blow their like uh, stimulus checks and stuff, but apparently not. Yeah, they're probably all pouring their money into Charmin, you know. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. That's a uh, that is a good one. Um, we'll have to fire some offline to you that that we were pumped about, and you can tell us whether there, any of those were already on the roadmap. But um, definitely appreciate you coming on. You know. Uh, said it already a couple times but uh huge fans of what you guys are doing and in particular yeah we we love uh we love aim so well i just have to ask one last thing before we let him go but uh one of the off-topic questions i like to ask is if you have any hot takes so dennis you've been as you said you've been your multifamily lifer and I feel like you've got strong opinions when we've talked off the mic <laughs> so do you have any hot takes that you're First of all, do you need me to define hot takes? But then if you don't, then do you have any hot takes you want to share with us? Why don't you define it so I don't miss the mark on this one? Well, yeah, it's just if you have a strong opinion on something that, that no one else or that very few other people agree with or that goes against the grain. Don't say, uh, I don't know, virtual events are a fad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I think there's a lot of learnings to come out of virtual events, but I'm not going to touch that one. Um, I, I think, you know, a hot take is, you know, you have your career, you have your job in multifamily. And I think one of the biggest gaps in learning is understand the financials. Like, how does this make money? Um, and how does it make money not only for you, like on your paycheck, but how does it make money for the business? And how does it make more money? And I think people 
you know, gloss over that a lot and don't understand, you know, why they should pick a product, pick a service, you know, how does it actually fit in and just do the math. Even if you're a little bit off on your math or you're not quite there or ask somebody to help with your math or look at your math. Um, don't be scared by the math. Cause I think, you know, in the marketing side of the business, people skip that step and use other information, or other people's data and assume it's going to be the same for them. But if you just did the math or push yourself to learn the math, your career and your understanding goes so much further. So that's my hot take is don't be afraid of the math, do the math. I think that's an awesome one. I can't tell you how many folks I've talked to where I'll try to ask them the business side. Like even, even if I ask um, many marketers what their, what fee they go to market with, like, Hey, what, you know, are you guys on the higher end of the fee or in the lower end for third party? Many of them have no idea. Like, shoot, I don't even know what our, you know, what our go-to-market fee is. I'm like, well, how do you guys position yourselves? Like what, how do you win deals? They don't know. So back, I'm taking this broader, like if they, if you don't know what fee you're charging, then you sure as hell are going to have trouble like doing the math and following the money trail. But I think it's a great one. All right. Well, since, I mean, this is our kind of exit formula or whatever to these podcasts. So I have to ask this question, Dennis, um, what, uh, would be your last meal, and if you had to eat the same meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Hmm. Same meal would be nachos every day, all day long. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you might align here with David, although I don't think that was your answer. But he's a nacho That's guy. Not a problem. Uh, <laughs> last meal, you just you know surf and turf. I guess just keep it simple. Who, who doesn't love a steak and a lobster? I guess the question is where I'd have that. I think I'd want that to be in Disneyland somewhere just to make <laughs> get the right vibe. I mean, that's the only – no, I'm not going to say that. Big disappointment. That park's got to figure out how we get open. Uh, but also there's a lot of good learnings for events. If Disneyland can pull it off, then we can start doing things in Southern California. So I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he put a good qualifier in it. depends where you're having them. Yeah. No, that was good. with those really flimsy plasticware forks and knives – it's like surf and turf might be challenged. Yeah. Could compromise the whole experience, which we know is what Dennis is about. All right, cool. Well, anything you want to say before we at least hit stop on the recording? No, I just want to thank you guys uh, for being our partner and also the input and feedback, you know, and learning about what you guys do and how you make clients happy and make them more successful. So thanks for being our partners and thanks for being a part of multifamily. Cool. Thanks, Dennis.